your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to a Friday of Lacrosse Talk PM. Never going to get used to this song because it's very cowboy-esque, and I feel like I gotta, I bust through. So the what should happen, Tregoski, is this, when we get the video, we're going to get video set up in here again. And what's going to happen is we're going to have swinging doors. Oh, like the, yeah, like the old like saloon. Saloon doors. Yeah. And you're going to come busting in with your <laughs> your side shooters. There's or a new sheriff in town. There is a new sheriff in town. <laughs> there literally is, actually. <laughs> 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. That's UW Lacrosse Political Science Professor Dr. Anthony Chergoski. I want to know if John Siegel would do that just for fun. I'm doing back-to-back UWL Political Science Professors. Did you know that? I had Dale I do. on yesterday. Dale, Tim Dale was telling me all about the show yesterday, and I actually caught some of it. And I thought he made a lot of points. Tim and I make fun of each other because we're kind of the most active political commentators. Minute. Did you just say he made a lot of points? Just regular, not good or bad. You know, <laughs> let me let me put it this way, Rick. Good uh, Tim and I are known for talking and workshopping our points in like the hallway at UWL, and then <laughs> we'll just like steal, to, to we'll just like steal each other's good ideas. Yeah. And like today, I was doing an interview with PBS Wisconsin, so of course I go talk to Tim to see you know what he has to say, and he says three or four things that I'm like, oh yeah, I'll just use that for my interview. Thanks, Tim. Who who gets more? Does are you more the media guy? Because I feel like Tim's a little jealous that you get the, all these hits, but I don't know if he gets other. He oh. might be jealous because you're on here every Friday. Oh, Tim is very active. He's very active on other stations around the state and he's very active on one of the local news stations is it pretty even among among media oh attention? definitely oh, okay. definitely now we do have a different perspective on things which makes things interesting for us because tim is a political theorist yeah. and i was trained to just straight up study american government okay so well he he also is trained in american government though. he, he is totally he is he is. His main area is political theory. He does also teach American government. Philosophy, something like, like that? Philosophy, yeah. Do you, do you, I mean, you dive into that a little bit or not really? Not is that hard? Really. That seems harder to kind of like analyze. I know. Philosophy. You know, my brain is just not wired that way. My brain because is not philo- wired like Tim's is. Because American politics, you can just, you look at the numbers you could look at the money, yep, and you can kind of like come to a conclusion. Philosophy is like, well, when Ron Johnson, I don't know, when Ron Johnson floats some something about COVID, now you have to, like, you have to gauge how that might be taken by the voter base. I don't know. Is that more philosophy or is that? I mean, I guess that's that's all. It's relevant. kind of more philosophy, Rick. I mean, I took, I may, I'm honestly. You know, to a great extent, just trained in statistics. Like that was a huge part of my education in political science, and so I've probably taken about a dozen statistics classes in college. So I'm mainly just a data guy, honestly. And Tim is more the big ideas philosophy guy. Okay, let's let's do this real quick because I have some of these numbers fresh in my head because I just did a podcast with William Garcia. Um, voter turnout here and four years ago. So last midterm, um, Scott Walker election versus Evers and uh, Evers versus Michael. Voter turnout was 85% back in 2018, 80% here. When I was talking to people, it was like, oh, all these people are turning out to vote. 5% less. Now the county clerk said that's not that was a good turnout, 80%. But it was 5% worse than four years ago 
Is is it worse? Is that and why? And why so, was it? I mean, so, it's less, but it, I don't know. Worse is a weird word. It, it, you know, Rick. I think it depends on your point of comparison. Are you only pointing? Is your only point of comparison 2018? And we're just saying, look, we will judge 2022 based on how it compares to 2018. Or do we look at midterm elections more broadly? Do we look at midterm elections over the past 30, 40 years? If we look at midterm elections more broadly, this year was extremely impressive turnout. Now, if we do compare this election to 2018, then it is a dip. So it just depends on do you take the broad sweep of midterm elections or do you simply compare it to the previous midterm? And I didn't want to do that to Ginny because I didn't want her to be like, I don't actually have the 2014 numbers off the top of my head. 2014 was brutal, Rick. We, by a long shot, beat 2014. Do you know the percentage, though? Not off the top of my head, but it was one of the lowest midterms on record. Can we just do, like, was it 60%? Was It in it could have been. Yeah. It could have been. 2014 was pathetically low turnout. We're, 2018 saw a massive increase in voter turnout. And then just that? a slight decrease. Is that just, is that just the, the Trump effect? I was going to say, is that like the, the after effects of the 2016 presidential election? Rick, what we found and out. Are we, are we, I don't want to do red wave, blue wave right now, but are we riding a wave that's slowly declining from 2016 to 2018 to, you know what, 85% four years ago to 80%? Is it just, and then maybe two years, no, four years from now, it'll be like 75% or something like that? There is no question that Donald Trump's presence caused an increase in political activity. So 2018, when Trump was in office, that was a very high turnout midterm election. uh, 2020 was an extremely high, 88% here in La Crosse, overall around the country, one of the highest voter turnout presidential elections that we've had. In fact, probably the highest voter turnout in like a century in the United States. So a bit of a decline now that Trump is not in office anymore, but still people are engaged having gone through the Trump era. We didn't see that massive drop off that some had maybe predicted, nor did we see the record setting turnout that some had predicted. We just saw a modest decrease from the previous midterm. Yeah, we. I feel like we just saw the, the wave is dwindling from a 2016. Sure. Um, even and even in 2016, the the percentage wasn't that high. It was after the after effects of 2016 that it that was. Came. Once Donald Trump was in office, that caused a huge increase in political activity on both sides. Rick, so you saw a big increase in voter turnout among both political parties in both 2018 and 2020. This year. Sure, it was a good year for Republicans in the sense that they gained seats in the House of Representatives. They gained a couple of seats here and there in the Wisconsin state legislature. But surely the Republicans underperformed expectations. So now both parties are trying to sort out where exactly things stand in this very confusing and muddled picture that was the 2022 midterm elections. And I say it all the time. Thanks, Donald Trump, for getting active activism and political turnout. Yeah. Up. That's like... If you don't like Trump for anything else, you could you can't not like him for for uh, increasing voter turnout. And Rick, across the board, 
both parties across the ideological spectrum, Donald Trump engaged the public in a way that we have not seen in a long time. So as a political scientist who just wants good government, doesn't particularly care about political party, but just wants good government, thinks that it's healthy for a democracy for, well, you know, I know that we talked about, you talked about that yesterday, if this is a democracy yeah. or not. We'll just call this a, a republic, a republic or a liberal democracy like Tim Dale I say did. democracy the verb. It's democracy the verb. Like We're, we're democracying? We're trying, yeah. We're trying to like, like let the people represent them, the the government, like have a say in the government as the verb. I'll just put it this way: the more, from a good government perspective, the more people who are engaged in American politics, the better. That is just my perspective. You're and doing so in you're that doing like the the Richard Nixon, the Nixon thing. I know, I know. <laughs> you're doing a hand job. I know, I know. My wife would be laughing at me if she could see this. Definitely. All right, we got to take a break. We'll be back. Not a lot of bass here. It's very like yeah. good song. You radical. All right, welcome back to the Cross Talk PM. Get going here, guys. One, two, three. I feel like we got the treble version of this. <laughs> Maybe my <laughs> That's headphones. Right. Are bad. That's right. Six zero eight seven eight five seven nine one four. UW Lacrosse political science professor Dr. Anthony Chagoski is in here in studio with me, back to back UW poli sci professors. In here as we we kind of recap the midterms. Any big surprises? You know, Rick, obviously big picture. The key surprise is that the Republicans will seemingly gain the majority in the House of Representatives, but it will be the narrowest that's of majorities. Not, that's the surprise there? It's the narrowest? The, it's not that they will get the majority. That was expected. But the fact that it may only be about a 10-seat gain for Republicans, I mean, that's a recipe for wild, a wild, wild ride in Congress. I mean, if you have an overwhelming majority for your party, it's easy to govern. You can lose members, have members vote against your your own side. It's no sweat. But let's say that you have like a one- or two-seat majority. you got to have all members of your party on the same page. You got to have everyone sticking together. Well, that's not easy to accomplish. And that's what we saw Republicans and Democrats last term when the Re- Democrats held the House, right? Because the House would pass something like we're going to cap profits for gas companies at whatever, and no Republicans voted for it. Exactly. That's the norm in the House of Representatives. The House of Representatives is highly partisan. Time after time, you see these party line votes where All members of one party vote one way. All members of the other party vote the other way. And with a very narrow majority, you got to have everyone in the tent. You got to have everyone sticking together. That's going to be the challenge for Republican leaders. It's not going to be easy for them at all. Does the, do Republicans get the Senate, or is that a done deal? They're not going to get it. It's, 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 it really looks right now, Rick, like it's 49-49. The people I trust say that Mark Kelly, the Democrat, is going to win Arizona. Now, that leaves things down to two more states. Georgia, which has this unique law where if you don't get 50%, then the top two candidates go to a runoff in December. It would be great if every state had that, would you say? You know, there's something to be said for that, Rick, because what if— no one gets a majority. Then isn't this a majority rules kind of system that we have? Except I mean, the it, Senate. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Which is ironic, I know. Though. Like, to the extent that we want to promote majority rules, 
then the runoff makes sense. Now it does add an additional election, and people just might be kind of tired of the whole the thing by then. Been, runoff would have been obsolete here in Wisconsin, even in the House race here in the Senate race, because Ron Johnson got over 50%, Governor Evers got over 50%, and Derek Van Orden got over 50%. That, that's exactly right, Rick. So when you look at the race for Senate, Ron Johnson got 50.5% of the vote. Meanwhile, Tony Evers got just a bit over 51% of the vote. So if we have the runoff system here, these races would still be over because they achieved over 50% of the vote. This might have been a better question for Tim, but I'll give it to you. If there was a runoff, would third-party candidates be more apt to run in these races knowing that they could siphon votes from Ron Johnson or Mandela Barnes, keep them under 50% and then therefore force a runoff? I don't know if that's a strategy. You know, it depends if third parties would view it as advantageous to try to force a runoff because then they could be power players in the runoff. Let's say that there's a third party candidate that gets 5% of the vote in the first round of voting. And then you go to a runoff. Maybe the candidate who gets 5% endorses one of the candidates who makes the runoff throws their support behind that candidate, that could actually swing the election for the runoff. So I don't know. It depends on the strategies of the third parties. Like you and Tim talked about yesterday, it depends on what exactly these third parties want to achieve. I thought Tim made a very good point when he said that a lot of times third parties, they're not in it to win it. They're just there to make a point. Like you talked about the numerous marijuana legalization parties in Minnesota. I was railing against having federal offices legalize marijuana candidates on the ballot. That's their party name, some affiliation with legalized weed. And we've already done that. You, There's no reason for a U.S. House rep to run on legalized weed party because we've already done it. We've left it up to the states. Statewide races, we could see that. Um, can we just? Can I selfishly talk about Minnesota a little Let's bit? Let's do it. Minnesota's entire government now is democratically controlled. Okay, so marijuana is going to get legalized? Like It's going to be recreationally legalized? A- absolutely, Rick. There was... An interesting story that came out recently, former governor of Minnesota, Jesse Ventura, says that Governor Tim Walz, fresh off Tuesday's vote that will send the DFL, the Democratic Party incumbent, to a second term. Well, Tim Walz told Jesse that legalizing marijuana will be one of the first things that gets passed by the incoming state legislature in Minnesota. As you noted, Rick, the Democrats have full control now of the state legislature Tim Walls, the governor, was reelected. That clears the path for marijuana legalization in Minnesota. Does anything else happen that's that off the top? You you, you have some affiliation in Minnesota, so you might Absolutely. feel like you know some of this stuff. Does anything else really happen big that because the government has full control? Minnesota has a large budget surplus, just like Wisconsin does. Well, larger than that's like uh, nine or ten one. billion. So. It's a lot easier to figure out how to use the budget surplus when you have the same party controlling the legislature and the governor, as opposed to in Wisconsin, where we have an overwhelming Republican majority in both chambers of the state legislature. Now we have four more years of a Democratic governor, Tony Evers, $5 billion plus budget surplus in Wisconsin. That had been just sitting there waiting for the election to happen because everyone wanted to wait and see what was going to happen in the election before we decided how to use the surplus. Both elections. Both elections. Minnesota as well. Minnesota's as well, Rick. 
now the elections have happened, it's going to be a heck of a lot easier in Minnesota with unified government to figure out what they're going to do with that surplus. Are Republicans like, what happened? We just lost the Senate. Are they surprised they lost the Senate in Minnesota? I think so, Rick, because this was expected to be a pretty good year for Republicans. And so for them to lose control of part of the Minnesota state government would tend to come as a surprise, right? I mean, like that's kind of the opposite of how this whole business of the midterm election under a Democratic president was supposed to go. Well, I talked about it with Tim yesterday. We were supposed to see a red wave. We didn't see a red wave. And in fact, in Minnesota, we see a blue wave. More of a blue wave. Is is that all coinciding with each other? Because there wasn't a red wave. Then we see the blue states go even more blue because there wasn't a red wave. I just, it's a very, I don't know. It's hard to understand. Rick, you're exactly right. So each state kind of went its own different way. Some states went more Republican. Some states went more democratic. There wasn't a uniform swing across the country. You kind of have to look at each individual state and say, Oh, this state went more Republican. This state went a little more democratic. It all added up to kind of a wash nationwide because you had some states go one way, some states go the other way. It all kind of canceled out. Minnesota isn't gerrymandered. No. But they could be. Theoretically. So Democrats have control of this. Can they do anything like to because we've seen we see this or maybe do something to get rid of the political process, the politics from drawing the lines? I mean, we're right after this. So it's a nine year window here that they could do something. But. I don't, I don't know. I don't, that's, but that's one thing I would like to see the government do in Minnesota is like, Hey, let's get that equation out of there. It's a really interesting idea, Rick, because while we normally see redistricting every 10 years, it can happen in between the 10 year mark. And so we've seen examples in the past of when parties have gerrymandered maps in between the normal 10-year increments of redistricting. So, I mean, theoretically, something could be done. I don't know that that's going to be the case. I think everyone right now is just focused on, hey, let's legalize well, that's marijuana. That's always the question. That's always the answer to anyone. I asked Jeremy Miller, the state senator in, in Minnesota, Winona at, at one point. This is years ago, but he was like, well, we're really focused on this and that and the other thing. Like, we don't have to, we don't have to worry about gerrymandering. I'm like, you don't have to worry about it until one one party takes control of the whole government and sure. decides to solidify gerrymandering, which is what could happen. All right, we're going to take another break. We'll return with UW Lacrosse political science professor Dr. Anthony Chagoski after this. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM 608 785 7914 is the talk at Texan. UW Lacrosse political science professor Dr. Anthony Chagoski in studio with me. A couple of people waiting on the phones. Um, We'll talk. What do we got to talk about? I, there's so many things that I want to talk about. Whether the Wisconsin state legislature is going to work with Governor Tony Evers, that statewide kind of affects all of us. And then there's like these bigger picture things that I want to talk about. Where um, we saw a college age voter turnout that did did that really play a role in the red wave not happening or whatever you want to did that or is that just You know, Rick, I think it's too soon to tell based on the data that we have. However, I will note that that college age, that 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 college age, what am I trying to say? Student people who are kind of like in their late their late teens, early twenties, you know, yeah, eighteen to twenty four, maybe exactly that. that age group in a close election. There are enough of those voters to swing the outcome. So. They they don't tend to vote at high rates. Well, here's here's the thing: is that that age group 
doesn't tend to vote. Sounds like they did vote quite a bit this midterm. Sounds like they're getting more engaged because I think social media, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram is all becoming the politics are leaking into there and their eyes are seeing that, reading that, and therefore they're getting more engaged. And therefore the politicians are going to have to appease that base because that base is going to continue to get older and continue to vote. You are so correct about that, Rick. When I was talking to my students, they were seeing the ads on the social platforms that they use, like TikTok, Instagram, and Snapchat. They were seeing these political ads and the campaigns in many situations were meeting the young people where they are instead of, say, you know, advertising during Wheel of Fortune, where, you know, let's just say my students aren't really watching that show. Yeah. Okay, so the ads were getting to them, were the ads getting to them in a positive way, or were the ads getting to them where they roll their eyes? Because that's how I, that's how everyone I talk to is sick of the ads, they roll their eyes at the ads, the attack ads, and then you keep telling me they work. So who are they working for? Young people are skeptics, and that's why this whole idea that I or anyone else I work with has the power to indoctrinate them is just false. (laughs) Because they're just like automatically skeptical of anything I have to say or any of my colleagues have to say. It's kind of annoying sometimes, but young people are skeptical. It's one thing that I honestly like really love about them, even though sometimes it drives me crazy. Young people are skeptical, so they're going to take everything they see with a grain of salt. But I can say this, Rick. They were well aware of the key themes of the campaign, and I hadn't seen that before in previous election cycles. So I do think there were some major breakthroughs in reaching young people. And in a close election like we saw in Wisconsin, particularly the race for governor, I do think the young voters could have made... a pretty key impact in that race. The, when you say key themes, are you saying stuff like abortion was on the table? Yes. Uh, that was a key was the- issue. I, you know, inflation, sure, but inflation impacts younger people like, you know, 18 to 24 year olds differently than it impacts, you know, people like you and me. Well, how many of those 18 to 24 year olds have my inflation take and in that corporations are taking massive profits right now more than any other time in history? And therefore, that is the inflation that they're worried about, not the inflation that it, we can't really relate to. We don't really understand. And Rick, that's part of the skepticism that we see among young people. Like they're skeptical of corporations. They're skeptical of government. They're skeptical of a lot of positions of authority and key institutions in society. So I think young people would be skeptical about the government's actions to combat inflation, just as they would roll their eyes at corporations and accuse them of perhaps price gouging or being responsible, at least in part, for inflation. All right, Sarge, you're on the air with Indoctrinator Chagoski. Go ahead. (laughs) Good evening, guys. Hey, I'm not a uh, election denier. Um, I believe Biden got elected. I wonder why he got elected, but I believe he got the votes that he got. Um, I think in Wisconsin, we run a pretty good election. But my question is, with the problems they have in some of these states where we still don't know who won, doesn't their inadequacy in doing this lead to skepticism? skepticism about the legitimacy of these elections? I I think so, Sarge. And so I think from a good government standpoint, you have to balance a safe, secure, and accurate vote count with a timely 
vote count. And some states are falling a bit short in that respect. I think the number one offender is Arizona, but it's because of the laws that Arizona has chosen to put in place. So they have this thing called signature verification in Arizona, where if you vote absentee, if you vote by mail, if you drop off a ballot at a polling place, you have to sign the envelope. And then it's not that easy. That's just one step in the process. Then, Well, you have to get by the armed people that are watching the ballot boxes. You have to do that. (laughs) And then a human being in the process has to look at the signature on your envelope and compare it to the signature in your voter registration file and to do what is called signature verification. So, hey, do these signatures look alike? Okay, they kind of look alike. Cool, this vote counts. And who is doing that? A, 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 elections officials. But as an election official, a, a, like a, a an educated signature, you know what I mean? Like Because there are professionals that do this. There are professionals. You you want to, you, you have an autographed baseball card, you take it to get verified. This person is a professional and he'll compare it. Or is it just like I volunteered to go be an election official and now I'm also a signature expert? Rick, I have issues with this process because I'm not sure – just how much more secure signature verification makes elections? Like, how many fraudulent votes are we catching through well, this also, process? If you're, if you're filling out my ballot, yeah. you are filling my illegally filling out my ballot, then you stuff it in the envelope, and then you sign my ballot with your signature on both the envelope and the ballot, and then put it in the box pretending to be me. Nobody knows. Well, it would get caught, Rick. It would get caught in that situation because they would compare it with your voter registration signature that you filed when you did register to vote. So in that case, the fraud would get caught. Also, every time I write my signature and I think, oh, somebody's going to be looking at this to make sure it looks like my old signature, I get all nervous and I don't know how to do my signature anymore. Rick, that's why I (laughs) I do have issues with this process. So the question is, does the security enhancement provide enough benefit to justify the delay in the count. Yeah, I, it, I don't think it, takes, it does. Yeah, right, because we're still unsure who won Arizona and, and anything, And right? to Sarge's other point, you know, the other state that we're waiting on is Nevada. The, pro, the pause there is because they predominantly vote by mail in Nevada, and you have to postmark your ballot by Election Day or on Election Day. So that means that okay, the votes days. are still coming in. Literally two days after the mail... It's, it all depends on the mailman, right? And today is a yep. federal holiday, so the mailman isn't even working today. You got it. So <laughs> the vote count is at the mercy of how fast the Postal Service works. All right, let's go to Joe on the phone. Joe, thanks for waiting. You're on with Trigoski. I wonder if the Postal Service ever gets tired of being the whipping boy. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> the guys are out there in the snow and the rain. I watch them slipping around on the ice. I mean, come yeah, on. Yeah, my driveway is 100 yards anyway, long. I don't want to get into the denialism or the issues. Um, one of the things I want to point out is I really think that the adults and the politicians trying to make sure that their egos are recognized and their plans are, are the ones that are put forth. I think about 20 years ago we went wrong with the children and telling them that they need to spend 45 grand on a college education, otherwise they're worthless to the world. And uh, I also think that we're steering them in the wrong way now when we tell them it's okay to get an abortion as long as you don't want to start a family yet and your career is more important than the child growing inside of you. And it's all up to you, and you got plenty of time for that later just uh, Feel free to have sex and kill the kid whenever you want to. 
I mean, I just, we're going to, 20 years later, we're going to look back at this and see how disgusted we are with it. That's the point I wanted to make. All right. Thanks for the call. Uh, 45000 for four-year college, that's like ten grand a year. That's not all that much. I feel like, I think UW schools are a little bit cheaper than that. Yeah, yeah. No, Even now, I think they are. Yeah, I mean, our students at UWL will make that back many times over in the added salary that they get. Um, all right, so... But I do agree with the sentiment that there are so many compelling options that students can pursue aside from a four-year degree. Yeah, you don't have to go to college. Of course not. You, you can just... I mean, my, I mean just look, I have at, just right look now. at the phenomenal work that Western Tech does, for example. Well, yeah. I have a nephew right now who's, I think, just in an apprenticeship with an electrician. Like, yeah. He didn't... Like, right out of high school, that's that's what he's doing. Uh, I, I think that the... The uh, promotion of apprenticeships that we've seen in Wisconsin is a, just a fantastic development. I will be jealous when he gets an electrician job and he's making X amount of money an hour. And then and then he might get jealous if I ever bring him in here and go, yeah, this is what I do. I have to just sit here and talk into a mic and actually make the other guy talk more because I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and you actually have to get down and dirty into this house and maybe get electrocuted a couple of times a year uh, to the point where it hurts. All right, got to take a break. We'll be back. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. UW Lacrosse, political science professor, Dr. Anthony Chagoski in studio with me. Uh, he's not pan- pray- If we gave you a mic, a wireless mic, you would be pacing around because that's how <laughs> we'd have to. We'd let you walk the whole building. I wonder how much room you would take. But um, pretty important story that, that come out on AP this week. Uh, a TSA found a handgun going through security at what fort in fort lauderdale of course it's florida is it a guy do we know if it's a guy it's a florida man florida man november 8th florida man so anyone's birthday on november 8th that's going to be a florida man story for you just google florida man and your birthday to find out your florida man story i have one as well <laughs> but uh yeah bringing a handgun in, in through tsa hmm. pretty yeah, well, pretty pretty know, run of the mill we, we have a u.s house member in this district who's literally done that with one in the chamber mm, so everybody does it sure I guess. Mm. Um, but also, he did that. That handgun was found inside a raw chicken. Not even just, like, I don't even know how else a raw chicken, a live chicken might have been more interesting. But a yeah. raw chicken. So somebody brought a raw chicken through the, like, little conveyor. Sure. So was the raw chicken. We need more yeah, details. I want to know right? if it's like a laptop where you have to take the laptop out of your bag and put it in its own bin with it. When it's a raw chicken, do you have to take that out of the bag and put it in its own bin? Now lacrosse airport director, Ian Turner sometimes listens to the show. Ian Turner, 608-785-7914. Everything you got on um, what I have to do. Otherwise I'm bringing him on the show next week. I'm calling him up. I'm going to have him on the show. What I have to do when I bring a raw chicken, because as unexciting as it is, is another person brought a handgun through TSA. Happens all the time when it happens to a U.S. House rep here in the 3rd District. Um, apparently, according to TSA in this, in this article, fresh meat, seafood, non-liquid food items are permitted in both carry-on and check luggage. So I can't bring shampoo, but I can bring a raw chicken? Can you imagine being seated next to the person who's got a raw chicken in their carry-on? <laughs> what is that? <laughs> And I do really want to know, Do like if I'm carrying around a raw chicken. Or worse chicken, yet, like raw salmon or some like f- fish. I mean, and what do they bring the raw salmon and then have one, have one of the, the people in the in the airplane, like, Mike, can you microwave my salmon? Oh, <laughs> and then the whole airplane smells like raw fish. 
<laughs> or uh, a microwave fish. But yeah, so if I'm bringing the raw chicken, okay, I'm like, like, how are you bringing it? Like, are you just carrying it in a, in the grocery plastic bag that Maybe. you brought, bought it, or are you putting it in a duffel bag? I, in my head, for some reason, I have a raw chicken in a bowling bag. I don't know why, because it's, it seems like it would be a little bit more sturdy. I have to carry it, so I have to be able to set it down. If I if I have it just in a plastic bag, it's going to it, the plastic bag is going to leak droop, everywhere. And it's going to yeah. leak, right? Yeah, it would have to be in multiple plastic bags, and then in another bag. A bowling bag seems sturdy to me. It would stay yeah. upright because it's right. got that base on it. Um, but yeah, do see Ian, this is thinking strategically about how you would bring a raw chicken through the TSA checkpoint. Yeah, Ian Turner, if you're listening, otherwise I'm calling you this next week, next Monday. Is the first thing I'm going to ask you is how. Do I have to take the raw chicken out? Like I have to take my laptop <laughs> out of the bag? Do I have to set the raw chicken? And then what happened? How did, did the raw chicken go through the conveyor? Because once you take it out of the thing, then it's kind of touching the uh, Like who's eating a raw chicken that touches the conveyor belt at the airport? It's touched literally yeah. thousands, if not millions of other people's luggage. It's the grossest thing ever. <laughs> why? And then why is this guy? And then and then what? They so it saw, must have been x-rayed so they could see the gun inside. And then they x-rayed the raw chicken and saw a handgun inside. <laughs> what happened then? Did we throw this guy to the ground? Did we just look at each other and... Like we need, we need all the people at the Fort Lauderdale TSA to give us their accounts. This cannot just be, you know, just a tiny little AP. This needs to have in-depth reporting. I need multiple sources. I need video. We need. Uh, oh, we gotta have the video need, because it will be on video. This yes. is at the airport. So yes, this is definitely on video. We do have a picture from Instagram of the the the, the chicken. <laughs> so the chicken appears to have been in a plastic bag. Okay. Multiple plastic bags, so maybe the the bag that the chicken came in. It looks a li- it looks very raw too. Oh it does yeah, does not look frozen raw. Like yeah. raw chicken to me, raw chicken to me is well raw is raw, right? Like it would sure. be a frozen chicken would be a frozen chicken. But by the time I get it through the airport, it's this it's, is not a frozen chicken. No, you can see from the picture. Raw. And then the the gun itself is also in a what appears to be a grayish plastic bag. So at least they they did smart enough to because they're going to eat the chicken later. Apparently, oh yeah. But they got to put the gun in a plastic bag. They don't want to get the gun wet. You know, I don't know if the gun gets rusty or what. Do guns, if you get a gun wet, I feel like, you know, some of them Bond movies, they get wet all the time and they just shoot the guns. Like, so. how would a raw chicken affect a gun? Yeah. So, and then, and then what was the, what was the, uh, what was the game plan here? <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know. I mean, we need to interview the person, yeah. the Florida man that had this. Um, yeah, so uh, and it, and it's kind of a joke. Also, just uh, we, mental health in this country really. Need, this is where we the mental health aspect of the lack of mental health in the country. This is a prime example of that, I believe. Um, all right, I don't have any other takes from this. Ian Turner didn't call. I'm sad. It's too late in the day. It's a Friday, <laughs> but he has he has before chimed in on Lacrosse Talk PM on a Friday. What was the last time? Do you remember? You were just saying it. Yeah, yeah, Rick. So there was one time when we had an unruly passenger on an airplane remember kind of during covid there were all of these reports of passengers who were misbehaving they were angry about how they had to wear a mask or they were just angry in general and so there was one report where someone who was unruly was duct taped to their chair for the duration of the flight and so we asked ian turner if you're actually allowed to bring duct tape through the tsa checkpoint and he said yes you are uh, Star Tribune story. We only got a minute here. So, in regards to just like 
people getting harassed. So you talk about that because that was a thing. Airport or airport workers getting harassed all the time because they had to wear because they had to enforce mask mandates oh, on yeah. airplanes because uh, you can't have a virus on an airplane. That would be her- terrible. But Star Tribune today. About 280 attacks injured hospital staff in Minnesota and forced them to miss work in 2020. Triple the assault-related injuries in 2019. So, Yeah, just, just the hostility that's out there in society, Rick. It really worries me. Thankfully, we got through the election without any major issues. This is though. one number where we talk about we want the results of 2019, but also like maybe the five-year average. You got it. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, Drew Thank you.